I know I am as well. Uh, for those that are new, again, we want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Damien. I'm the associate pastor here. Um, as Pastor Jesse mentioned, Pastor Dean is on vacation with family, um, helping his dad with health challenges. So him and Pastor Amy, they send their love. Uh, pray that our pastors get restored, refreshed, and just have a good time while they're on vacation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, uh, for those who have been following, following us for the last couple of weeks, we are in a sermon series called All the Fields. Somebody say All the Fields. Um, and and uh, out of this sermon series, we're diving into the book of Psalms. So a lot of our sermon titles and a lot of what we are talking about is coming from Psalms. And the reason why I like Psalms and, and the reason why I believe that Psalms is a very powerful and unique book, it's because it's unique in several ways. Like no other book, this particular book validates the human emotion. This is a book where we see uh, the different writers talk about how they're mad, they're sad, they're angry, uh, they're joyful. There, there's just a variety of different emotions that are captured in Psalms. And we see that in Psalms, whether you feel fear, whether you feel sad, whether you're grieving, whatever emotion that you're feeling, we see that the conclusion in Psalms is the way out of those emotions is through prayer, praise, and worship. Can I get an amen? amen. We see all throughout Psalms that these writers are expressing their vulnerability to God. They're expressing how they feel, but they always conclude, or most often they conclude in the Psalms by blessing the Lord, praising the Lord, and worshiping the Lord. And, and I'm here to tell you from this sermon series, All the Feels, we don't have to be uh, incarcerated to how we feel. We don't have to always be given to our emotions. As Pastor Dean eloquently mentioned last week, feelings are uh, not indicators. Or, excuse me, let me say it this way. Feelings are not dictators. They're indicators. Meaning how we feel doesn't have to dictate our behavior. How we feel doesn't have to dictate how we move and make decisions. They're indicators. In other words, when we have feelings, we don't have to necessarily take those feelings as face value, as truth. We have to investigate those feelings. Can I get an amen? Because not everything you feel is true and not everything that feels good is good for you. So we have to make sure that, that we are properly reflecting and addressing our emotions. Now, um, one of the things that Psalms talk about as well is, is prayer. And, um, you know, oftentimes in church, prayer is just most more so like just repetitions and declarations. But I believe in Psalms, we learn that prayer is not just declarations and repetitions, which is important. You need to confess. You need to declare. But but Psalms, the book of Psalms shows us that prayer is a place where a heart can find rest. The heart's true home is in the presence of the Lord through prayer. So prayer from the book of Psalms teaches me how my soul can mature. It doesn't just show me a prayer to recite. It doesn't show me just a prayer to declare. It shows me that I can be extremely vulnerable to God. I can tell God I'm mad. I can tell God I'm angry. I can tell God, why did you do this? I can be a human being to God and God accepts that. Therefore, in him accepting that, he accepts us, but he also helps us process those emotions. That's why we see Psalms that says, bless, bless the Lord with all my soul and not forget his benefits in which he bestows to me daily. Can I get an amen? amen. So 
uh, Psalms pretty much addresses every feeling one can have and possibly every circumstance that one may face. That's why there is 150 Psalms, right? Because there's different emotions, there's different circumstances, and we can pull from these Psalms to identify emotions and feelings that we may relate to and discover a strategy how to get out of those emotions so that I'm not so bound in my emotions that I can't fulfill or step into the plan and purpose of the God in my life. Amen? Um, so, uh, I, I also, before I get into my sermon title, I, I think it was something that I want to address as well. One of the most important things that I think is important for our emotions and our feelings is prayer. But not just praying casually, but I believe a discipline of praying every day. Can somebody say every day? Now, it's not necessarily setting aside a time at a specific time of the day to prayer. You can do that, but we know that God is omnipresent, so we can take prayer in our car. We can take prayer to work. We can take prayer wherever because God is not limited to his presence and his spirit in a building, right? We know that Jesus came, destroyed the temple, rebuilt it in three days, and now God no longer lives in a building. He now lives in us. So where we go, God can go. Wherever we are at, the kingdom of God is at hand. Wherever our foot walk, the kingdom is there because the kingdom is not a geographical location. The kingdom lives within you. When you got saved, an incorruptible seed got planted on the inside of you and you have all of heaven's resources inside of you. Now we have to renew our mind to pull that which is in us so that we don't let that which is out of us try to dictate what is in us. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So although I may feel certain things, although my external circumstances may be provoking an emotion, I can get in prayer, I can get in the presence of God, and I can pull from my resources, and I can begin to declare and be vulnerable, and I can step out of my emotions, step into truth, and do that by faith, because we know that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. In fact, the Bible says those that come to him must know that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we got to seek him when we're feeling off. We got to seek him in our emotions. We got to seek him in our anger. We got to seek him in our fears. We got to seek him in our grief because there's going to be some type of faith step that you're going to have to take to get you out of that emotion that's trying to keep you in bondage. Can I get an amen? amen. And it's, it's important to deal with these different emotions, whether it's anger, whatever it is. I'm just going to tension because if, if, you're, if you're easily offended, you're easily angered. And if you're easily angered, you're easily to take off purpose and destiny. Can I get an amen? So when we come to God in prayer, he reveals himself one way. And when we come to him in another day, he reveals himself in a different way. What do I mean by this? God is inexhaustible. That's why we pray to him every day. Because you never pray to him once, get all of him what you need, because he's inexhaustible. He, you can never exhaust who he is. So I pray to him every day because he, he's eternal. He's never ending. He has an inexhaustible amount of resources for me. So if I pray to him today to deal with this emotion, if I pray to him the next day to deal with this, I'm never arriving at having a enough of God. I'm always needing him and he gives me uh, dosages of him in, in settings in which I can handle or what I need of him. 
So the prayer, excuse me, the goal of prayer is actually to move me closer to Jesus. By praying, there should be a new dimension of Jesus that's being revealed to you every day. We will never fully capture Jesus in a lifetime. That's why we'll see him in eternity. We will never capture all of God in a lifetime. That's why when we die and leave this life, we spend eternity with God because it's going to take eternity to know a God that's eternal. Now, when it comes to Psalms, no doubt it will enhance your prayer life. It will enhance your prayers, praise life, and it will help you approach the problems in your life. Let me say that a little bit better. When it comes to Psalms, it will enhance your prayer life, praise life, and your approach to your problems in life. Psalms teaches us that the way out of our human emotion, again, God is not against us having feelings. He just doesn't want feelings to dictate to us what truth is. Again, let me say that again. Somebody needs to hear this. God is not against you feeling a certain way. He's just against you allowing those feelings to become sovereign and dictate to you truth. It doesn't matter if you feel this way or that way. This is why we need the word of God, because we have to filter those emotions through the word. Amen. And, 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 and we can't change what we're feeling unless we're changing what we're listening to. And we can't change what we're listening to unless we change who we spend time with. Amen. So if I'm not spending time with God, who is uh, the giver of life then guess what? I may be giving my time to other things, other people, other circumstances, other relationships that may be speaking lies to me. And if I come in agreement to those lies, I now make lies my truth. And that's why I can wake up one day and say, I feel like I was born a woman and I'm, and I'm a man. Or I'm born this way and God biologically created me this way. Because you spent time with culture that dictates lies versus spending time with creator that dictates truth. Let me say that a little better. He doesn't dictate truth. He is truth. He has truth. He wants to reveal truth. So we're going to open up in Psalms 34, 4 through 9, and I'm going to share my sermon title in just a moment. Now, one of the things we have to understand that the Bible is not written in chronological order. It's written in order of its uh, liter uh, literature. Right. You have the, the first five books of the Bible, which is the law. You have the history books, which is first Kings, Chronicles, Samuels. Uh, and then you have the po poetry books, which Job, Psalms, uh, Proverbs, so forth and so on. So this particular passage, although it's written after Samuel, or at least it's canonized in scripture after Samuel, Samuel, it's not written after Samuel. It's written, written in a time of David's life that I want to share with you. So when we read this passage of scripture to have context, When David prayed this prayer or when he wrote this Psalms, this was at a time in David's life where his father-in-law was trying to kill him. His father-in-law threw spears at him. And so it was so bad in a, in a, in a place that should have been good. It was so bad in a place that was called home. That was a place that should have been a refuge, a place that should have been where he was accepted and validated that he actually ran to find refuge in the enemy's camp. Man, that must be bad. We're so bad at home that you go in enemy territory. You don't have no peace at home, so you go to pornography, enemy territory. You don't have no peace at home, so you go to smoking weed, enemy territory. 
You don't have no peace or you don't have no guidance, so you go to enemy territory and start getting your, your palms red. You start going to psychics and mediums to try to get a word from God. You're going to enemy territory because you are letting the pressures of life push you into enemy territory, but the pressures of life got to keep you rooted and grounded in Christ because what's in me is greater than that what is trying to come against me. And I have to trust that no matter, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Weapons may form, but they won't prosper. Yeah, they may form. Yeah, your marriage may be under attack. Yeah, your life may be under attack. Yeah, your finances may be under attack. That is a weapon that's forming, but if you stay put in the presence of God, if you allow yourself to, to read the book of Psalms and see the gamut of emotions that all these different leaders were reading, you'll realize that God will never leave you nor forsake you. He got you and he's going to deliver you. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our refuge. He is our ever-present help in a time of need. You just got to trust him. So David is saying this in the midst of all that. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. Again, in this setting, David went to the enemy's camp or enemy territory and out of fear of being captured, he actually acts crazy in a moment. So there's this king or there's this uh, the, the group of leaders that go into the same place where he's at. And it was like, isn't that David, the one that they sing about, killed his thousands and Saul did this? So David began to act crazy so that they can overlook him. Now, that was, a, that was more of a natural tactic. God could have protected him. But nevertheless... You, you got to think the, 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 the fear that this guy is in, I just left Israel because my father-in-law is killing me and I try to find refuge in the world. And right when I stepped into the world, there's an enemy right there ready to slay me as well. So then he says right here, in my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles for the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Somebody just say that, taste and see that the Lord is good. Think of your favorite food and say, God is better than that. <laughs> taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. The title of my message today, I know it took a while for me to get there, but if you were taking notes, I'm a note taker, I take copious notes. The title of my message is Freedom from Fear. Somebody say that with me, Freedom from Fear. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would help me to articulate myself with simplicity and clarity, that every hearer of this word uh, will be imparted into them a spirit of wisdom and revelation to overcome fear. We come against every satanic and diabolical assignment that will try to hinder, interrupt, or frustrate the word of God. We put Satan on notice. We declare that this is holy ground, and these are holy people, and they are covered by the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, if you receive that, just say amen. Freedom from fear. Now, that word fear, or fear not, or fear God, or don't be afraid, is actually mentioned in the Bible over 300 times. Some 
Different commentaries say five, some say 365. So I just said over 300. Let me just keep it safe. So nobody like you over there preaching things that ain't true. But nevertheless, God is trying to get something to us. On one hand, he tells us to not fear, but on the other hand, he tells us to fear him. I, I, I also want to help us understand and delineate between uh, what I would call rational fear, the spirit of fear, and reverential fear, because we need to understand these things. But before I unpack that a little bit, I, I think it's safe to say that we all deal with fear to some degree. Can I get an amen? And what we have to understand is that fear robs us of experience, intimacy, relationships, success. Most importantly, the spirit of fear, if you don't deal with it, it is a destiny killer. It will, it will try to rob you of your destiny. That's why in Deuteronomy 31 and 6, but as God is telling the children of Israel to go take the promised land, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Fear not for the Lord God is with you. Because in order for you to possess the land, you have to face giants or the current occupants that are on the land. Which means you have to uh, 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 address and deal with your fear because there are going to be some battles that's going to look bigger than you. But if, if, if the battles weren't bigger than you, then how would you know how big God is? There's battles that may seem bigger than you. There's problems that may seem uh, just too much for you. But God wants to be involved in all of that so he can show you that he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ever ask, think, pray, or imagine according to the word of faith that lives within us. What if I would tell you that a majority of what we may want in life is actually on the other side of our fears? Think about that. I think about all of what God has blessed me with from family uh, to entrepreneur endeavors to opportunities. It all came as I embraced the fear, overcame it. And on the other side of my fear were spoils of war. It was spoils from fighting and conquer things in my uh, interpersonal uh, life. It was it was rewards. So I, I'm here to encourage you. Don't allow fear to get you complacent because even in complacency where it feels like you're not getting attacked, it's still a slow digression to things that you don't want to step into. Can I get an amen? And for me, I've experienced fear. Uh, you may not believe it. My parents are right here in the front row. They can testify to it. Public speaking is something that terrified me at a young age. It was, ne it was never prophesied over me when I was young. I, you know, I wasn't in speech classes, any of that. I hated speaking in front of people. In fact, I wasn't the type of person that liked a lot of attention from groups of people. So, it, 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 you know, that public speaking was a huge fear of mine. I still get afraid to public speak. Matter of fact, I went in the bathroom like three times to pray. Guy, don't, you didn't give me a spirit of fear. Help me preach this message. Every time I'm up here, fear tries to come up on me. Every time I speak, I get nervous. But I realized that when I came into Christ, I also got endowed with powers by the Holy Spirit. So what I couldn't do in the natural, when I have the Holy Spirit and live a spirit-led life, now what I couldn't do in the natural, I can do in supernatural ways because I serve a supernatural God who will begin to deposit things in you and I life so we can do things that we were normally afraid to do in the natural. You shy? Get you some Holy Spirit then. 
So uh, I want to talk real quick. Let's go to Genesis chapter three, one through five. Before I delineate between the different fears, I think it's important to understand what is the origin of fear? Where did fear come from? Super important. Because I don't really believe that God ever wanted us to experience fear. I believe that God wanted us in a perfectly loving relationship where we wouldn't know certain things um, so we wouldn't be tempted with certain things. Excuse me. But it says in Genesis chapter three, starting at verse one, it said, now the serpent, who is the devil, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you should not eat it, nor should you touch it. How many know she just added something? God didn't say that. <laughs> he said, don't eat it. He didn't say, don't touch it. <laughs> Lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will, sure, you will not surely die. Hold on, pause. Right there, you got, you, you got to catch it. Fear didn't just come full-blown in the emotion of fear. It got planted from doubt. Satan planted doubt that, that surely you won't die. It don't take all of that. No, God is missing it. No, you don't have to wait to have sex till you get married. No, you don't got to go to church. No, you don't. Do you really need to be in a small group? Surely it don't take all of that. So he starts trying to plant little seeds of doubt. And if you don't doubt your doubt, your doubt will then begin to grow into a full-blown fear. And what is the fear? Fear that you're missing out on things and, and you don't really trust that God has given you everything you need in him. Let, let, let's keep reading. Um, for the serpent said to the woman, you will, surely, you will not surely die for God knows. How is Satan trying to tell Adam and Eve what God knows? You know, I'm so tired of everybody trying to say the universe and manifestations and, you know, you say the universe, I say Jesus Christ. The universe don't know nothing. The universe was created by my creator. Amen. <laughs> I'm good with manifestation. I, that, that, that's, a, that's a term we're familiar with, but it's almost like people are trying to use nuanced words to not just call God what he is out of sake of not offending people. Well, if me worshiping, loving, and identifying God with truth offends people, then I'm okay with you getting offended. I didn't get too many amens on that one. So, you will surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So we see from this disobedience... Later in the verse, the Bible talks about God was walking in the cool of the day and, and, and Adam and Eve hid themselves, which is an indicator to God like, hold on, you hid yourself because they said one particular word. We hid ourselves because we were naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were depressed? Who told you you were an addict? Who told you you were these things? Who told you you got to be like the generation before you? Who told you these things that I never wanted to expose you to? In other words, when they disobeyed God, they opened themselves up to the spirit of fear. 
God never wanted them to know that they were naked. God never wanted them to know the difference between good and evil. He just wanted them to know good. But God had to place a poor choice in a perfect place because if it wasn't a choice in a perfect place, then we would be robots. So he gave us a choice so that way we, don't, uh, we are not automatically programmed for love. We can choose love by choosing him. We serve a God that honors our free will. He told them, don't eat that. And here's where you can eat. He gave them a choice because love makes requests. Fear makes demands. When you love somebody, you don't control them. You don't make them do anything. You give them an opportunity to choose what they want, even if it hurts you. Do I got any parents? I got got any husbands? I got any wives? Sometimes spouse, parents, our friends, even if you want to set them up for success and you you know that the choice that they're going to make is going to help them experience all the provisions and then they make a bad decision, you can't try to rescue them. What you got to do is give them to the hands of God and God is the great rescuer. He's the great I am. God can do more with your kid, with your spouse, with your friend when you place it in his hands than what you do when you try to keep it in your own hands this is why we gotta praise and worship God when those situations happen so fear was introduced in the garden when Adam and Eve hearkened to the wrong voice and because they hearkened to the wrong voice one man's disobedience opened the door of sin and death to all of humanity so we are all here Uh, born into sin, shaped in iniquity because a result of this bad decision. But where one man made a bad choice, another man made a good choice. The first Adam made a bad choice. They often call Jesus the second Adam who redeemed us back to which we were supposed to have in the garden. So although you might have been born in a dysfunctional family, although you, you might have been born into a bad situation, you can choose Jesus and be grafted into a spiritual family. You can choose Jesus and be grafted into good character. You can choose Jesus and have an inheritance. You can be a seed of Abraham, which means you are in covenant promises and you have covenant rights that God wants to do in your life, which means you are not the victim which means you don't have to stay the victim. You don't have to stay a bondage to fear. You don't have to live in emotional torment. You can choose Jesus, and Jesus will redeem you out of that sin proclivity, out of that inclination to keep sinning, out of that inclination to keep going to that bad relationship that you know is not good for you. You, In your spirit, you know you should let them go, but you keep going back to what is comfortable because you're afraid of what's ahead of you that is uncomfortable. I wonder how many prisons of relationships we're staying in because it's comfortable, because it's, it's convenient. But when you face the fear of being alone for a season, God will show you that you're not alone in any season. But he has to show you these things so that you can choose him. But as long as you keep choosing other things, you'll never get to know him on the level that he wants you to know him so you can be free to be all you're supposed to be in Christ Jesus. Now, one of the things that we got to know about Satan is he is a fallen angel. And like all angelic beings, he has no creative power. He cannot create. God can create. In fact, Satan is not even the equivalent of God. He might be the equivalent of Michael the archangel, but you can't put a a, a created being on the same level of God. Oh, y'all missed the revelation right there. 
So my God is much bigger than Satan. Although Satan can't create, what he can do is lie. He can seduce. He can manipulate. He can try to bluff you in thinking that a hand outside of Christ is better than the hand you've already been dealt with. He can still kill and destroy. But all of these things he can only do if you give him the power to do it. Satan is defeated. We have authority over him in Jesus, not outside of Jesus. You can't defeat Satan in in Buddhism. You can't defeat Satan in any other religion, only in Christ Jesus. It's the blood that has defeated him. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus was manifested for two purposes, to destroy the works of devil and, uh, and to free us from the bondage of fear. Only Christ can do that. Somebody tell your neighbor, say, only Christ can do that. So the Bible talks about Satan as the father of lies, the father of lies, which means the older saints used to tell me this. If Satan comes to you with a lie, just believe the opposite. If he tells you you're going to be alone, know that you're not going to be alone. If he tells you you know good, you know that you are good. If he tells he's called the accuser of the brethren. All he does is bring accusations. He tries to invoke shame and guilt and and, and, and depression because all of these things, if you give into it, it will lead you back to your cave of comfort, your sin to medicate. And God is like, no, I, I know you're going through some pain, but I want you to sit in that pain. I want you to face that pain and see that I can redeem that pain and give you purpose for what you were hurt in. And if you give that pain to Jesus, it is amazing what the potter can do when you give him the broken pieces of your life, he can reshape and remold and make something beautiful out of your life if you would take that pain and give it to God who will redeem that pain and give you purpose from that pain. Yeah, I call it into medicating on that pain. You're going to stop medicating your loneliness. You're going to stop medicating all the things that that you feel you need a person. You need a substance. You need something to deal with the emotions that you're dealing with. No, what you need is start reading the book of Psalms. What you need is community. What you need is Jesus. What you need is the Redeemer. What you need to know is that God got you. God will give you a way out if you will face what you need to deal with. God can't heal what you're not willing to confront, and God can't deliver you out of what you're willing to not deal with so when it comes to fear real quick there's three types of fear as a result of the fall again God never wanted us to know or live in the tension of experiencing fear he wanted us to live only in knowing love so three types of fear one is rational fear which, in my opinion, is more circumstantial. Like if I'm on a, if I'm on a stroll in a park and I'm walking and I see a lion without any cage or without any lion tamers, how many knows my, my fear receptors are going to go up? That fear is good because it's telling you there's a threat and you need to go high or you need to go run. He didn't give you a word like he did Daniel in the lion's den, <laughs> unless he did. <laughs> But my point is that is an, that's a rational circumstantial fear. Or for me, there was, it was about a week ago, I was driving on the freeway and somebody almost swerved in my lane and immediately like I got afraid uh, and, and, and got more focused. Again, that's a rational fear. That, that fear is rational. It's, it's again, it's something, it's not, a, it's not a dictator, it's an indicator that there could be a perceived threat that we need to pay attention to. 
And then there's 2 Timothy 1 and 7, where it talks about, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound judgment. Other, another translation says sound mind and personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us the spirit of power, love, a well-balanced mind, self-control, so forth and so on. So the spirit of fear is when you are paralyzed to the degree you can't obey God. The spirit of fear is when there is a vision that God has given you, when there's a, a, a direction, a path that God has for you. The spirit of fear is you are paralyzed, you are neutralized, or you are stuck to the degree you can't get past that fear, you can't get past that trauma, you can't get past that experience, and therefore you can't get to the promised land that God has for you. You're still in the wilderness, and God is like, I got milk and honey on the other side of this fear. And then there's the reverential fear. Somebody say reverential fear. This is the fear that the book of Proverbs talk about where it says, the beginning of, the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, I understand it may be a little bit confusing. Again, rational fear is more circumstantial for a perceived threat. Spirit of fear is when I am paralyzed or neutralized or stuck from not making a decision that will honor God. And reverential fear is simply loving what God loves and disliking what God dislikes. Can I make that just simple for you? I honor what the Lord, I honor the sanctity of marriage between man and a woman, not between man and a man or a woman and a woman. That's me fearing God. I raise my children up in the admonition of the Lord, and I don't raise them up in a way of the world. That's fearing God. I stay sober-minded. That's fearing God. I walk in love, and I forgive. That's fearing God. Fearing God is simply obeying scriptures because you know that it's in the word of God that you'll access the plan and purposes of God for your life. So I'm fearing God not from a Fear of judgment that we see in Matthew 25 where the guy buried his talents because he had a misperception about who God was. He hid himself from God. Adam and Eve hid themselves from God because they had a wrong perspective of fear. I'm talking about the fear that if you make a mistake, you run to God, not away from God. I'm talking about a fear that when you need help, you run to God, you worship, you pray. This is a reverential fear. But now, more than ever, I see that culture in the world is trying to challenge this reverential fear. And there's a reason why they're trying to challenge this reverential fear. Check this out. If, if culture or the world can say there is really no creator, which they're trying to say, then that means there is no intelligent designer behind creation. And if there's no intelligent designer behind creation, which means there's really no purpose, that you can kind of just live your best life doing you not knowing you find life by doing less of you and more of God. So many people is trying to find them apart from God. They're trying to find them doing them by blind experimenting with their life, with their sexuality, with their mind, trying to find themselves. But it's in doing you, you actually lose yourself. Because it was in the first human beings that did them, they lost themselves. But it's in Christ who 
said, not my will, but your will be done, that he fulfilled the plan of God on his life, and therefore he found life for himself, and he found life for all of us. So if there is no creator, then they can say there is no intelligent designer. If there is no intelligent designer, they can say there is no purpose. Live for yourself. Uh, do what you want to do. And if there is no real purpose, here's the part. I don't have to take accountability for my choices. I don't have to give an account for my life towards God. I don't have to go to the judgment seat of Christ, which for Christians, it means a place where we get rewarded. And I don't have to, I don't have to get judged for what God gave me or rewarded. There's no, there, there, there's no eternity. There's no life after death. So therefore, if there is no creator, there is no intelligent designer, there is no purpose. And therefore, if there is no a purpose, I can do whatever I want to do. And there is no consequences to my decisions, which ultimately dismantles the fear of God. Because if I'm not accountable for my choices and I don't have to give account to God, then therefore I, I, I can do whatever I want to do. I can live however I want to live. But when you fear God, you know certain things you just can't do. When, you, when you're married and you feel God, you know you're just not going to cross certain lines that can dishonor God and dishonor your marriage. When you fear God, you know you're not going to say certain things to your enemies, although you want to cuss your enemies out. When you fear God, you're going to be like, bless you. Bless you. You're almost going to say it in a cuss way. Bless you. <laughs> I've been there where I wanted to say something really bad, and I just said, bless you. Bless you. You're so awesome. <laughs> so we're getting there. I want to talk about common core fears real quick. I'm going to run through these real quickly. Common core fears that almost all human beings experience if not these, there could be more. But again, we see the very first fear was fear of missing out. Adam and Eve were allured that there was something outside of God's provisional package that they would miss out. So therefore, they disobeyed God because they thought they needed something outside of God. And then there's the fear of failure. I, I dealt with this one, fear of failure, which tried to get me to hide and be very proud of being a perfectionist. But, but, but you got to understand that Perfectionist sometimes is just rooted in fear of failure. So you never try because if you can't 100% get it right, you won't even give it a chance. But there are certain things that you may not get it right 100% of the time. You might only get it 50% because God wants to make up the other 50%. He wants you sometimes to take calculated risks that could mean failure, but it's never failure in God's eyes if you do it for him or if, if, if you do it in a way to where you're honoring God. Because what I've learned is, although I feel like something might have been a failure if I didn't get the outcome of a conference, if I, <clears throat> excuse me, if I didn't get the outcome of what I wanted, I realized it's not failure if it developed a virtue or a value in me in the process. If me putting some type of event together that I needed to be successful. If me uh, 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 fighting for a relationship or doing something is, 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 I'm hoping an outcome happens, but in the process, I don't get the outcome, but I get the qualities of Christ-likeness, then I won, even though the outcome didn't come my way, a virtue, a Christ-like nature, the divine nature was developed within me. So although this scenario didn't work out, but because I developed a Christ-like nature from this scenario, when another scenario comes, I'm going to accelerate what I didn't get in this scenario. Oh, Jesus, somebody needed to hear that. 
fear of abandonment, fear of disappointment, and lastly, fear of death. Now, when you have these type of fears, you often or sometimes begin to sabotage your relationships or opportunities out of fear. And what I mean by sabotaging is if you are afraid of failing, you're afraid of being abandoned, you're, you're afraid of, excuse me, being disappointed, what often happens is the moment you feel like somebody's going to leave, the moment you feel like something's not going to work, you sabotage it first before ever seeing if it could work as a means to take control because you don't like how it feels when you're not in control. And can I give you a revelation? You're not in control. <laughs> you're in control of your emotions. You're in control of your decisions, but you're not in control of the outcomes. We are responsible for the effort. God is responsible for the outcome. Should I say that again? We are responsible for the effort. God is responsible to the, for the outcome. So I can't let my fear of being abandoned to never allow me to try to be vulnerable, to get a relationship where God can use them to show me he loves me so I won't feel abandoned. But if I don't deal with the fear of abandonment, right when I feel like they may leave me because they see an imperfection of me, I'll sabotage that relationship so I can remain in control. That's what fear would do. But I got a, I got a testimony, I got a confession to make. Romans 8 says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, meaning there is no fear that you got to live in if you're in Christ Jesus. Because here it is right here, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they instituted a law of sin and death, meaning you were, gonna born, you were born to die one day. When God created us to live forever, we are still going to live forever, but we're going to die in this world, and then we're going to go either in forever in eternity with heaven or hell. And then the spirit of the law of Christ, of the law of life in Christ, that is the spirit of love. God brought us out of this sin and death, this spirit of fear, so that we can step into the spirit of love. And what is love? Love is not uh, uh, obsolete, it's absolute. Love has a standard, love has a definition, love has a requirement, and love is simply Jesus. The Bible talks about it in 1 John, love is obedience to the word of God. So if I have a love that I claim that I have, but it's taking me outside of obeying God, then that's not love, that's perversion. I know y'all didn't want to hear that one. How do I know it's love it, when it lines up with the word of God? God is love. Jesus demonstrated love, and the word of God is the barometer how I keep love. Ooh, let me say that one again. God is love. Jesus demonstrated love, and the word of God is my barometer of how I determine if I'm in love. Do we have that graph? I want to show you guys something real quick before I close. If you think about the law of sin and death, when Adam and Eve, and this, excuse me, this is a, uh, I just kind of made this up. When Adam and Eve sinned, they opened the door to a curse. Fear came in, sin and death came in, sickness and disease came in, poverty came in, worry and anxiety came in, hate, and now uh, we, we give ourselves access to demons to afflict us. But when we choose Christ, when we choose the word, when we choose the law of the spirit of life, which is the word of God, we get access to blessings, covenantal blessings that can only be obtained by faith. 
And by faith, you become the righteousness of Christ. By faith, you get access to healing and divine health. By faith, you get access to prosperity. And it's not just about money. It's about nothing missing, nothing broken, wholeness in your life. And you get access to the peace of God. And you get access to that last part is more supposed to say angelic protection. Now, I want to close on this. We see all these things are set up. And the Bible says, 1 John 4 and 18, that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I'm here to tell you that God is not moved by your color. He's not moved by countries. He's not moved by, by, by currency. God is moved by covenant. We are in a covenant with God through Christ Jesus that he has freed us from fear, that everything that we're afraid of, God has provided an escape, a way out, that we don't have to fear. Although we may be tempted with fear, although we may have fear in a season, we don't have to give into the spirit of fear. And I want to bring it back to David as I conclude. David was a man who I believe had a lot of opportunities to live in fear. He had a father-in-law, as I mentioned earlier, who tried to kill him. He had a wife that disowned him for praising God. And she's like, why are you praising God that way? He had a son that tried to steal his kingdom, slept with his wives on a rooftop to shame his dad. He had enemies on the left and right of him. He had a lot of tumultuous things going on in his life, but yet he never allowed fear to get the best of him. And I believe David gives us an answer to fear. And that answer is Jehovah Rohi, the Lord God, my shepherd. And when David wrote Psalms 23, it's on my shirt. This is after he defeated Goliath. This is after he became king. So he had a lot of triumphant victories of fear. And then David gives us this illustration of how we can overcome fear that I believe from Psalms 23. By, by, by writing this Psalms, if you heard it, it starts off, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Here's the part. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, Satan will speak in the shadow. It won't hurt you. It won't bother you. He's a liar. He'll try to tempt you with something that you think is going to harm you. But God says you walk through the valley of shadow of death. You don't stay there. You don't live there. You walk through it so you can get to the mountaintop. Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thy rod and thy staff come from me. If you are familiar with sheep and shepherds, a rod, a, a rod was a way that a, a shepherd fought off the, the enemies that would try to attack the sheep. And the staff was a way to guide the sheep. It had a long hook on it. It was a way to guide the sheep back into the fold when they stray away. David is telling us that his rod and his staff will comfort us. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, your haters, those who want to see you fail, people who don't want the best in your life. God still knows how to bless you when you're going through public battles. God still knows how to take care of you in the presence of your enemies. Then David says that he anoints my head with oil. That means God is marking his presence. Oil is symbolic to the presence of God. He anoints you with his presence. Your cups runneth over. That's abundance. Surely goodness and mercy shall not fo shall follow me all the days of my life, 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can we give God some praise? I believe Psalms 23 is both a practical and powerful approach to overcoming our fear. You can pray this over your spouse. You can pray this over your kid. I pray this over DJ all the time. God, I declare that you are DJ shepherd. He shall not want. You make him lie down in green pastures and lead him beside stale water. Lord, I declare that you're Stacy shepherd. Lord, I declare that you're Dominic shepherd. Zoe, so forth and so on. I pray that because in this particular Psalms, you're seeing about seven characteristics of God. You're seeing that he will provide for you. He will never leave you. He will consecrate you. You see Jehovah Makedis, Jehovah Tiskanu. You see the Lord God of righteousness. You see Jehovah Jireh. You see, you see all of these characteristics of God in this passage. So I, I want to give you guys an opportunity in this brief moment. If you're in here, I'm not going to ask you to come to the altar. You don't have to, but you can if you want to. But we're going to do a corporate prayer in just a moment. But if you're in here and you struggle with any of the fears that I uh, mentioned, whether it's missing out, whether it's the fear, the, the fear of failure, abandonment, disappointment, or you just know that you've been given to a spirit of fear at times, I want us to do this prayer, this corporate prayer and confession to break the spirit of fear off our lives. Because as I mentioned earlier, if you don't break the spirit of fear, you will never step into your purpose and destiny. If that's you in here, I'm going to just ask you to be brave and just stand to your feet. If that's you, you're like, I want to break the spirit of fear off my life. Come on. I want to break this spirit of containment off my life. I want to break the spirit of complacency off my life. I want to live in, in the freedom and the fullness of what God has for me. And I know that the, the life of Christ that I have access to will give me all of the covenant provisions that I need. And I, I know that God has a plan for me and I will choose not to live in fear. God is my shepherd. Jehovah Rohi is the God that I need. Jehovah Rohi is the God that will take care of me. And I believe we have it on the screen. On the count of three, we're going to say this prayer together and we're going to make this confession together. And then I'm going to close out the service in prayer. And then if you need some time to just continue to do business with God, we're going to leave the altar open for a little bit. And I'll be here to pray with anyone uh, that may need prayer. So on the count of three, let's do this together. Hopefully uh, the words are big enough. One, two, three. Father. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to open my eyes to any areas of fear in my life. I make the decision now and refuse to act on fear or practice it in any way. I believe that your love will flow through me and I will handle every situation I encounter with the wisdom of God. Let's make this confession. I confess that I am delivered from the law of sin and death, fear terror, torment, worry, and oppression have no place in me. I keep the commandment of God's love and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. I'm protected by the ministering angels of God. They keep me in all of our ways for the love of God is made manifest in me and I walk free from fear in every area of my life in Jesus name. Amen. I'm gonna call the prayer warriors up. Can we just give God a praise? Come on. He's better than that. Can we just bless the Lord? We're going to go into a song. I bless the service. Father, we thank you that we are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, the lender and not the bar, that everything we touch will prosper according to your will. 
I thank you that these people are blessed. Give them a blessed weekend with family. We pray a hedge of protection around them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us. We pray that message ministered to your heart and lifted your spirit today. Hey, to find out more about joining the RLC online family, you can find us on the Church Center app. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. God bless you.